This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No One Ever podcast. I'm James Bird, and I'm joined, as usual, by Natalie Bromley. Uh, we're going to be discussing the FA Cup third-round defeat to Manchester City at the Etihad uh, over the weekend. I think a game where, for the first time this season, we've really been uh, properly blown away. I think in a you know a second-half performance by an individual team. Obviously, I think Tottenham had clusters, but Man City took it to another level, and I think they showed the the quality of side they are, and really that. If they're, if they're up for it, the quadruple could very much be on the cards for them. Um, Natalie, what did you think of the game? Well, <laughs> for the first 63 minutes, I absolutely loved it. I was having the time of my life. I was happy as Larry. We were dancing and singing in the stands. Then not so much after that. It was. Um, it felt to me like City were playing just a very patient game of cat and mouse with us. And for the first sort of 63 minutes, they were um, they were just toying with us, basically. And then they decided that enough was off and they were coming in for the kill. And we got absolutely battered after that. As soon as we um, considered the equaliser, that was it. it, it they, uh, Like you say, James, they took that performance level to a, a, a level I've never seen before domestically in this league. I sounds a bit hyperbole to say this, but I genuinely fear that this may very well be the greatest Premier League side that we've ever seen. Um, and it's only going to continue to get better. So, um, yeah, a mixed afternoon, a mixed afternoon indeed. It's fair to say they could be uh, the best Premier League side that's ever been seen. Uh, there's a few Chelsea sides, I think, of that spring to mind for having maybe a, a better defensive uh, sort of unit and, and defensive mid aspect to the midfield, but going forward, I think Man City are a, a truly frightening uh, proposition. Um, and really, I think they've got the Premier League stitched up. I think everyone recognises that it's very unlikely that anyone can can catch them now in the Premier League. And you know, I think with the lineup they put out, um, it showed that they they're taking the FA Cup seriously. There wasn't you know many players in there that you'd say were not capable of playing in any team's uh, first 11 on any day of the season, um, particularly with the firepower of Aguero, the highest ever scorer um, up front. Um, talking aside, I think we sort of matched them uh, for, for putting out a strong strong lineup with only a, a few changes. Um, personally, I thought it was interesting to see that it was uh, Jack Cork played Um I think he's looked maybe a little bit leggy um, in the, in the couple of games over the Christmas period. Obviously, he's played every minute in the league. One of the the few players in the league who's done that for his side. Um, were you surprised to see him start and, and maybe not have, um, say, like a, a Marnie Westwood central midfield, or maybe even you know one of the guys who's uh, not played as many minutes, just start and, and give Cork that rest on the bench now. Yeah, I completely agree, James. I was quite surprised to see him. He was probably the only um, player that I, maybe one of only two players I was genuinely surprised to see. I actually thought that um, Ben Mee was going to get rested, as, it, as obviously as it turns out, that was um, an injury, wasn't it, rather than um, a tactical rest. So Cork was certainly one that I expected to see get rested. Um I actually said going into the game that I fully expected to see Dean Marnie on Saturday. And I think most of the travelling fans were quite disappointed that we didn't. I, uh, As a quick aside, I do find it absolutely hilarious at away games in that 
all you ever seem to hear Burnley fans sing is just different variations of Dean Marnie songs consistently throughout the afternoon um, from the train stations all the way through to the end. I just want to add in, I don't think there's any player um, anywhere who has the cult following that Dean (laughs) Marnie has. Um, I completely agree. I love him. (laughs) He's been out the side, obviously, with his injury now for quite a length of time, but it just shows no... No sign of slowing down in popularity. No, really I think, doesn't. you know, he's been a big part of the club for a long time and, uh, you know, fans obviously appreciate everything he's done for us. And hopefully we will get an opportunity to see him back on the pitch soon because um, it'll be a hell of an atmosphere when he comes on. Uh, oh, God. Well, that's, I think, why I was really hoping he was going to come on on Saturday because the, the crowd were primed for it. And I think, I mean, you see it in, you see it in social media as well. You see, you know, responses to some funny tweets, you know, talking about there's always a Dean Marley reference somewhere. And I think if it have come on, um, if it have come on when we were still 1-0 up, I think that that um, away at City would have gone absolutely crazy. Um, but, yeah. Going I back, know our friend Vizzer, obviously, is a huge, a huge fan. Huge fan. <laughs> I think he would combust. I think Vizzo would combust. Yeah, yeah, I think he would as well. I would have loved to have seen the video when he did it. Um, but yeah, going, going back to the original point, I think I, I think you're quite right. I think you, he hit the nail on the head there, James. I think Cork would have benefited quite a lot from a rest this weekend. I was really surprised to see him. Um, I wasn't surprised to see Westwood and I actually thought he had a really good performance, actually. Um, but I, yeah, it, it just felt a little bit, um, it felt a little bit like um, overdue time for Cork to have a bit of a rest, really. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously, I think, just insert here, Adam, a, a little clip of me saying what I say every week. Jack Cook's been fantastic so far this season. Um, but it, it maybe was a game where I would have wanted to, to give him a little bit of a rest and, um, you know, give him an opportunity to just sit one out and, and you know, take a little bit of a break. He's still got a little bit of that. He obviously did come off uh, late on uh, and that gave him a, a little bit of a breather. But I mean, apart from that, there wasn't a huge number of changes. Obviously, Arfield um, missed out with an injury um, and, you know, forced, forced a change. Do you, what did you, what did you think of that from us? What did you think of us, you know, sort of attacking wise? It, it was an interesting sort of different line that we went for. I think, Maybe many fans would have expected four four two there from from Dash as you know the old reliable, but he, he resisted the temptation to do that. Yeah, he did, and I think that's probably indicative of of how Dash has changed as a manager as well, and and how he has moulded this side into one that does play that four five one formation very well. Um, I've got to say, actually, there were a lot of times in the first half, especially, where it almost felt like we were playing four three three. Yes, I think uh, Barnes and um, Hendrick were playing so far forward that it honestly felt like we were playing in a bank of three up front. Um, only for, for, for periods, it wasn't for the entire half. But I, I don't know. I think I think it was the right thing to do just because of the way that he set the team up. And even though he did make sort of three or four changes, he didn't significantly alter the shape of the team, did he? He didn't go for something particularly radical in, in, in his approach to the game. So I think it would have been weird if we'd have gone straight to a 4-4-2. Let's say he would have um, brought, I don't know, Wells on instead and, and played that kind of striker up front with with Fawkes. Um, that said as well, I think... Um, I like the decision to play Barnes in this game. Just well, obviously, number one, it was the right decision because he was the absolutely the one who created the goal and and really up till us scoring, we hadn't really looked at creating an awful lot else. Um, I think Sam um, held the lineup very well, but it was only really Barnes who was trying to create anything. Um, but also, I just I, we've said this a few weeks now, James. I think Barnes is in the form of his absolute life at the moment, and and you just don't want to rest a player when he's playing that well. I think it would have been counterproductive. And obviously, if he starts getting tired, then you can rest him. But I would be playing um, Ashley Barnes every single game until Woods fit for the time being, just because he's 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 just playing fantastic, and, and long may that continue. Yeah, I'm certainly enjoying what what Barnes. I think he's managing to limit those slightly frustrating aspects of his game. Um, you know, the maybe being overly physical that sometimes manages to distract from from what he does because you know he's conceding so many free kicks, etc. But he, you know, he's managed to get the balance right. I think between that aggression and you know staying on the right side of the the referee and it's you know it's paying dividends. Um, we'll come on to the goal uh, in a minute but there's just one last 
you know change to the side that I want to want to touch on. Uh, Lawton came back in, um, replacing Bardsley. I think Bardsley's maybe maybe a little harsh, but partly to blame for the the, the late goal for for Liverpool uh, last week. He, he just didn't seem to be as sharp as. Um, Clavin was, and as a result, uh, you know, he, he was second to the ball, and, and that cost us. Um, I think he'd really, you know, more or less been a pretty steady performer uh, when he's coming uh, for, for Lawton, obviously, with Lawton being out injured. But I was maybe feeling it was the right time to bring Lawton back in because I felt we were maybe missing uh, his extra bit of dynamicism down the, the right with Goodmanson. Natalie, do you think we'll, we'll see Lawton hold his place now? Do you think he did enough to? to win his spot back? Sadly not, I'm afraid. Now, this comes with a big explanation because obviously everybody knows that both James and I are massive Matt Lawton fans and I think um, we've both expressed surprise that Bardsley kept his place when Lawton was fit because we were fully expecting him to come back into the side. Now, when I say that this this comes with with sort of um, a back... Not a backstory, I guess an explanation to what, what I'm going to say here... You know, let's bear in mind that number one, he has been out of action for quite some time, and number two, he was playing a ridiculous side. Um, but Lawton looked very out of sorts for me on Saturday. I thought he was sluggish. I thought he was very slow. He just wasn't linking up well at all with Goodmanson on that wing. Um, and I just, I, I genuinely, to the point, expect. Um, that Barsley will come back in for the Palace game. I just don't think he did enough to, to uh, muscle Barsley out of the side. Now, like I say, I think it's it's probably um, a hard game to judge him on because, number one, he was expected to obviously run around quite a lot when he's not match sharp. And number two, he is, um, you know, hasn't got that confidence that he's, he had just before he got injured. But I'm sorry to say um, I wouldn't be too disappointed to see Barsley come back in against Palace. I don't think he did particularly that well. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, personally, I'd, I'd see what he can do against slightly lesser opposition than uh, Man City. Like I say, a little bit of rust maybe after being out the side for a while. Um, it'll be interesting to see because I, you know, I think harsh maybe, but Barsley was partly to blame for that, that Liverpool winner and um, I don't think he was part of him, James. I think you've been kind there. He was to blame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like maybe harsh to drop him then. But, uh, it, it's one of those ones, I think sometimes when he's displaced uh, someone who's previously been clear first choice, I think long-term, obviously, Lawton's clearly first choice. Um, sometimes it has to be that one mistake that's enough to, to do it. Um, you know, you're kind of walking on eggshells to keep your spot yeah. when you're, you're keeping... Uh, you know, the first choice out of the team. I think um, just just to summarise on that, James, I do agree with you in that if it was up to me, I would I would keep Lawton on against Palace just because, like you say, you want to test him again. A, a, number one, when he's had a full ninety minutes under his belt, and number two, against a lesser opposition. When I'm saying I don't think he did enough, I don't think Deitch will will keep him in. I think Deitch will go back to Bardsley. Um, if it was up to me or you, then we'd, we'd, we'd give him one more shot at, at um, Palace and see how he does. But I just don't think Deitch will. I think Deitch will stick with Bardsley. I think it's going to be very interesting to see, actually, because we've not really seen Deitch um, use his players in this way before. So we're we not really caught... Previously, obviously, we used to have not changing the side. So when he has made changes for a, a cup game, it, it's almost a little bit of an unknown to know exactly what he's going to do after because it's it's not something we get to see too often. So, um, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see see what side we put out on Saturday. Just before we move on to the goal, um, I'm going to throw in something completely random and off topic. But I've just seen apparently John Louis Valois was mentioned twice and pointless. Um, no way! Gosh, that's a blast from the past. Uh, I, I know we've we've touched on him in previous podcasts last season. What a what a hero! So I'll never forget his performance against Aston Villa in the cup. I know um, <laughs> he didn't do much else, but <laughs> great moments. You 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 got to hold on to those great moments. And JLV, thank you, love you. <laughs> Um, right, oh, we'll move on from... My favourite, most random segment in the history of non never podcasts. <laughs> just just trying to keep keep it fresh. 
building up to what is going to be the greatest moment of the podcast before it all goes downhill, to be to be quite honest. Um, we scored. And that might have been more than we expected before the game, uh, going to Man City. I just want to talk about what Stones was doing. Um, he's obviously very highly rated. Um, cost a phenomenal amount of money. He's very good on the ball. But defensively, I would definitely not swap him for, for me or Tarkovsky. No, I would And he just... He's, it's something that I always remember when I played football, um, you know, sort of youth level, uh, sun, Sunday league, not for any sort of professional youth outfit. Um, your manager would always say, don't let it bounce. And he, he's let it bounce and then tried to slice it from sort of waist height. And it's just gone completely wrong. And, you know, Barnes has done really well. And I think it was a very Burnley goal. It shows what we do quite a lot, which is press against defenders. And um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast recently. I think I meant to. Um, what I sometimes love at the turf is when we've not got the ball, but we're putting a lot of pressure onto the opposition. And quite often it really gets our fans going. And it's almost quite strange to hear a group of fans cheering so so loudly for someone just running at someone. Uh, but it, to me, it just like, really sums up Burnley spirit. Yeah, and Barnes does it really well, takes it down and smashes it past the keeper. It's, yeah. it's a hell of a finish. And I loved watching the video again and again later on for that noise the net makes as you hear the clips of the net uh, that holds it down. Great goal. And at that point, you, you look at what we've done this season and does a bit of your promise think we could do this, we could beat Man City in the Cup? Yeah, it did. Uh, during the game, it did. Uh, right the way through to, into the second half, it did as well. I mean, th- there's quite a lot there to dissect, James, and I think there's there's so much to talk about the goals. I'm just going to kind of take each little bit of it. Um, I think going, just touching on your, your point, that you, you talk about Burnley fans loving, uh, gosh, they love a runner, don't they? But also, um, you do, you do hear the crowd get excited when, you know, you start chasing him down. You always hear the crowd going, you know, go on, hassle him, hassle him, and go on, that's it, chase it down. And, and they just love it, even if they don't get anywhere near them. Um, they do, you know, they do love that idea of, of, you know, pressing them back into the goal. If they manage to press them all the way back to the keeper, it's usually met with with quite a massive um, cheer, isn't it? Um, so, but I think the, the second part of that that I, I wanted to, to extract on it is is just how well Ashley Barnes does that. And he's been doing it ever since he came to the club. He just doesn't give up on the loose balls. And I actually think out of all of our strike force, I think he's the best at it. Um, I just think he he just sees little mistakes and little potential openings and he just gets a foot in there and he just you know puts his body in the way. And that's exactly what he did on Saturday. So I don't I don't want to talk about the goal without massively overlooking just the massive part that, that Ashley Barnes played in getting the ball in the first place. Um because I just think he was so alive to it and he was so um what's the word I'm looking for? I guess I don't I want to say aggressive, but I don't think aggressive is the right word. He was he was like that needling him all the time and he was just making sure that Stones didn't get a moment's piece on that ball. Um what John Stones was doing, I I do not know. I mean it's comical when you look at it for a player of his experience and a player of his reputation. It's a highly embarrassing goal for him to, to, to concede. I actually don't mind John stones. I think he's a pretty good player. I'm not entirely convinced that the hype around him is justified. I think he's very, very good. And I think he probably is um, one of the best center halves that England have to offer. But I just don't think he's as absolutely incredible and worth the price tag that people seem to have hyped him up about. Um, And one thing that I would say, especially after watching him quite closely on Saturday, if he is supposed to be the greatest centre-half that the England squad has got, then it's absolutely shameful that Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky are not at least in the squad. Um, just because they do some of the basics that he's supposed to do better. You know, he has got a better level of class than they have in some parts of his game. But your ABC, no-nonsense defending. He, You, you know, Tarkovsky and Ben Mee 
can run circles around him. So I think out of all of those things um, that, that you mentioned, James, I think, you know, the, the one that we should focus on more than anything is just Barnes's effort to get the goal in the first place. And it was just, do you know what makes me laugh? The little header that he does, that was such an Ashley Barnes move to do that he just like butted it down to, to be able to run onto it. And and I think for me, for me, he was running at us so that he scored it out the Burnley end. And, the minute that his head connected with the ball and it landed by his feet, I think none of us even believed for one second he wasn't doing anything, that he was going to do anything other than put that ball in the back of the net. And it's so funny to hear you say, James, about the sound that the ball made when it hit the back of the net because we heard it. We just we just heard that whoosh and that net hitting and the peg hitting. And the noise in the away end was just phenomenal. I... I love away games anyway, as most of us do. Um, away games are just a great day out. You always make more noise. Fans always sing more. There's always a better atmosphere. It's an away day. Of course it is. But given that we took just under 7,500 fans, that end was absolutely rocking. And when we went one goal ahead, it was worth the day out just for that. And I've got quite a lot of friends. Um, I work in Manchester City Centre. Um, so I've got a lot of friends who are City fans and a lot of them were at the game. And I literally had a queue of people at my desk today at work. This is Monday we're recording, guys. Um, just everybody was just saying to me, the one thing that everybody said was, my God, you were loud when you scored. And I was like, yes, you could feel it. So I just want to take a moment for anybody listening to this podcast who was there at the game on Saturday well done, because we created such an incredible atmosphere and we created a moment of sheer joy when that goal went in. And it's one that, you know, our FA Cup dream might be over for another year, but I certainly enjoyed it, the 63 minutes of it before it all went downhill. So good work, guys. Good work. I think our fans sometimes are capable of making a, you know, an incredible noise. I, I've been in a few ways when we've... Uh, We've celebrated goals really well. And uh, obviously, the, I think the big one that springs to mind is probably Wade Elliott at Wembley. I don't think you can ever feel a noise like that uh, ever again. But that's what I am, um, just on the net thing again, that's what I love about those modern nets. Just the fact that they have a like a metal rod at the bottom that slaps against the the the, the ground with like a, just a little satisfying metallic ting and just sounds great especially when it's an away goal and the home fans have gone deadly silent um from there on it, it didn't look quite as rosy i think we could have taken a few chances to obviously in, increase our advantage um but we were unable to and i think you can't set a second half and this part of you that as much as you want to believe we can go on and, and get a result, you really feel like we needed the second goal. Um, the players Man City have, I think it, the way they started to play second half, it became a matter of time until they managed to find an opening. But unfortunately, I mean, it it almost makes us sound a little bit bitter, but the way City's first goal came, I don't think befits the, the the quality they played with uh, in the second half. The the referee looks to be speaking to uh, Ashley Westwood um, about getting the, the correct distance from the free kick. As Manchester City take it from straight under his nose and, and score while we're sort of on the on the back foot. I think if the referee had been away from the ball and you know, hadn't been interacting with Westwood, you would have thought nothing of it. It's just a quick free kick. But the fact that the referee is practically over the ball as he hits it and he's, he looks to be engaged in a conversation with Westwood just makes you feel a, a little bit like if that was us, uh, that would be brought back. Um, Natalie, what did you think? And actually, most importantly, what was the feeling from the people around you? What did they, you know, what was the, the feeling at the time? I think when you watch it back, it's obviously a lot easier to to pick out what's happening. But was it that much of a surprise at the time? No, actually, it wasn't, to be honest. But And I think it's because it caught the fans as much by surprise as it did the um, the players as well. So before we knew it, the ball was in the back of the net. But because it all happened so quickly, I think the, I think the feeling in the crowd is very much what happened then. Like, how did that happen? And actually, it just looked like we'd completely gone to sleep. You couldn't really see the interaction between the referee and uh, Westwood from where we were. So 
actually it was probably a harsher feeling in the stands where we were because I think most people were really annoyed that the, the, that the Burnley players had, had just completely switched off and then we knew that was going to be it then and we knew that we were all com- com- really going to struggle. Um, it, so actually the the whole furore around the referee and, and Westwood and, and the question mark about when that should have been given or whether he should have waited for the whistle didn't really hit us until after the game. Um it's it's a bit hard to analyse this one really because it. You're right, James, in that it does. You don't want to start sounding bitter, and you don't want to start sounding like we're making excuses because I, I firmly believe just with the increased intensity and the way that they'd started to play their football around the time of the goal that it was inevitable that we were going to concede those goals. We might have just lost three one instead of four one. I don't know. Um, Actually, we might have still lost 4-1 because it did actually feel a little bit at the end that City were maybe taking a little bit of pity on us and and not trying to give us an absolute hiding. Um, I So, yeah, so I, sorry, to, to go back to that point, I, I, it, it kind of missed our radar. The feeling in the stands was more, um, oh, my God, that was the worst defending we've ever seen. Like, what were you all thinking? Who's just switched off there and why have you just let them have a free run at goal? So, yeah, we, we didn't really see it until we got back in, I'm afraid. A slightly disappointing one then to concede a goal from a free kick that I suspect if it was us, it would have been pulled back. But I think ultimately City had got into the ascendancy at that point and really outclassed us for the rest of the game. And that, um, I'm trying to remember who it was with the back heel now, but that mesmerised by the actual back heel, I'm struggling to remember who it was. Uh, Dundagon, that, oh, that back oh heel. Oh my God, for, ridiculous. Just yeah, unbelievable. There's there's no match in that. That's that's all you can really say about it. I think one of the important points to to draw on is the substitutions in the game. Um, I think I saw that City subs had a total cost of 150 million, um, and I think the number that's been banded around that we spent in our history previously is 144. Um, I think when you see Kevin De Bruyne waiting to come on alongside Jonathan Walters. Um, absolutely no disrespect to Jonathan Walters. Obviously, he's an established Premier League professional, but that is some difference in, in quality you're bringing on. And, you know, for anyone who thought Man City weren't going to take the FA Cup seriously, I think that was proof that, you know, that they are to be at that stage of the game and looking like they're about to win uh, comfortably to then bring De Bruyne on to really try and kill the game off is just unbelievable. I mean, what did you think of the the general, you know, outclassing from City and also the difference in class of, of what was available on the bench? Natalie? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty stark example, isn't it, of the difference in riches between the top six slash seven sides in the Premier League and the rest of the league. Um, Despite the level of money that's now available to all Premier League sides, there is still a real divide between the top sides who can command so much more investment in terms of of, of, um, outside investors as well as, as the revenue from the media. It just, it was kind of depressing. <laughs> it, it it was one of those where when, when we were all walking to the ground, all very excited, and we'd been told that he was going to make 11 changes and would probably be playing most of the under-23s. And then the team's announced and he makes just three changes. And actually those three changes end up coming on before the end of the game anyway. So by the end of the game, it's pretty much his, his first choice start in 11. It was just so soul destroying. We all looked at the the, the uh, teams and went, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, this is not going to be good." Um, and then you know we did all right for sixty minutes, sixty three minutes. We were pretty happy, and then it just got to the point where it, you just wanted to cry in the stands. And every time they made another substitution, by the time they brought De Bruyne on, we were all just going, "Please make it stop! Please, no more! We can't do this." It's, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it, it's a. I think for my, I think I summarise it in two ways. I think that um, before the game, with his starting 
team and how he approached the game. I think that was a combination of um, Pep taking the competition very seriously, but also being very respectful to the quality of his opposition. So we've got to take that as a huge compliment. We know Pep's a fan of Sean Dyche and we know he's said previously that he's unsure as to how previously been unsure as to how to break down um, our teams. So the fact that he played such a strong side, I think shows that he was maybe cautious about who he was playing and wanted to play a strong side to show that he was commitment to wanting to win the FA Cup and how serious he was going to take the competition. Um, I think his substitutions towards the end were a little bit of showboating by him. And actually, you know what? I I allow him and I don't mind the luxury of him just being able to bring on £150 million worth of subs just because he can. Because by that point, the game's won. Um, they're going through to the next round of the FA Cup. He's got a packed out um, Manchester City ground with not just Burnley fans, City sold out their away end as well. Um, and he just showboated a little bit. He showed the world, he showed the fans, the home fans within the Etihad, and he showed the people watching um, matches of the day, just the the depth of quality he's got in his squad and the, the players who are playing this season. So he was just showing off a little bit. And you know what? I don't mind that. You know, good on them. They are a ridiculous side this season and, you know, nobody domestically is going to touch them this season. So whilst it smarts a little bit that it's against you, I kind of don't have any problems with allowing him that luxury towards the end of the game, to be honest. Yeah, I think it was a real show of intent to go to try and win every competition they're in. So I, I don't think it's out of the question that they, they could do the the quadruple. Um, do you think that's on the cards for him? Well, I was just gonna, I was literally just going to jump in then and just say, do, I think domestically, yes. If I was to put money on it now to say that they'll win the domestic treble, I would say, yeah, of course they will. Like nobody, nobody can get anywhere near them at the moment. You know, United are supposed to be their nearest rivals and we saw at the Manchester derby just how far behind United City, uh, sorry, how far behind City United are. Um, the question mark for me over this side is whether or not they can do it in the Champions League. It's all very well um, playing when you are miles ahead of your domestic um, competitors. But there's some quality in that Champions League and there's some sides who have got the technical expertise and the technical ability to counteract what City have to offer. So I'm not as confident that they'll win this Champions League as I am that they'll win the domestic treble. Um, if, who knows? I, I don't know. I think that the... the, the uh, the next couple of rounds will be key. I think if, if they can get themselves to the final, then I think they'll see it out. So I think they've got the discipline enough. Um, and I think they've got the players who can perform on a big stage. So um, I'm, it's just maybe whether or not they, they stumble before they get there. I don't know. Yeah, the, for one thing's for sure, they're an unbelievably talented side. Um, just the last thing we'll, we'll talk about on the, the City game. I thought it was quite interesting to see beforehand there was a little bit of talk of oh, how many changes is Dash going to make and that old oh they're not going to get relegated but they're also not challenging really to win the league so they should be putting everything they can into the FA Cup to try and win it you know City are going to play a weakened side this could be their opportunity to go for some silverware I get that on the face of it but it seems like actually a, a lot of you know the public and the media at wide maybe weren't seeing how seriously Pep was going to take the FA Cup. And in retrospect, Natalie, would you maybe thought, let's try something a little bit different? Let's just, you know, let's play maybe Hendrick where Defoe normally plays or, you know, just try something a little bit different. Maybe put someone in a slightly different position to you normally see them as well as maybe, you know, resting the, the guys we did. Um, just use it as an opportunity to, to see what we can do when City put out such a strong side. Um, would that have been something you might have looked to have done? Yeah, I think so. I suspect that the team news maybe took Dutch by surprise. Um, I think he's played the team that he's played on the assumption that Pep's making a lot more changes than he actually did. Um, by the time he finds out that it's pretty much a 
full strength side that's playing. I think it's too late then to to change the formation, change the mindset that he's got and the preparation that he's got the lads into. So I think, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. If he could have if you'd think he would have known well in advance that Pep was playing the side that he was do, I think he Dutch would have realised that um there's probably very little chance of them winning that game. So let's just throw caution to the wind and and let's use this opportunity to try some other things for the rest of the season. But you know what? We're still only two wins away from that magic 40-point mark, which is, is easily going to be survival this season. So once we get that sewn up, I think Dutch is going to have plenty of time for the rest of the season to do some more um, what's it called, tinkering with the side and try some other things. So we'll just use the league instead. As they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um Moving on, Crystal Palace at the weekend. And to me, this is a, a real opportunity um, to, to get a, a good win away at what I think is almost a symbolic ground now after last season when uh, we struggled so much away from home and then off we so emphatically won at Selhurst Park. Um, bearing in mind we made a few changes to the FA Cup, there's potentially a few injuries. I mean, what are you looking to, to go into that game with sidewise, uh, Natalie? Are you looking to go back to the team that played against Liverpool or do you think a, a few changes might stick? Do you think Arfield will make it? Do you think Wood could make it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a difficult conversation to have, isn't it? A lot of this is going to be hypothetical. Um, I firmly believe that if Arfield's back, I think Arfield will play. Um, I think that's a, a certainty. I fully expect... Um, it, I think if, if Arfield's back, I think it will be the same side that started against Liverpool. I actually don't think that Wood will come straight back into the side. I think Deitch will look at... Um, bringing him on maybe as a substitute and, and give him a bit of a runabout rather than start with him. Um, I think he's Dyche is going to be a little nervous about um, Wood. He's had a couple of um, short spells out on the injury table and I think he's never quite got himself right. Um, given how well Ashley Barnes is playing, I would encourage Dyche to allow would the the time that he needs to actually just get better this time I think he maybe rushed him back a little bit too soon last time um as I mentioned earlier on I expect I I think that that Deitch will bring Barsley back even though I both you and I would probably give Lawton one more chance um I think um assuming that well I think they said didn't they, that Tarkovsky wasn't properly injured he just got a bit of a tweak so they rested him because there's no point risking him so assuming that Tarkovsky's back um I expect Ben me and Tarkovsky to be in the middle. Um, the, the, the constant quandary for me is Hendrick. Is this Hendrick problem? Now, regular listeners will know that I've been defending Hendrick for weeks and I did have a couple of cheeky tweets on social media this week where people were suggesting that I was probably the only person left in Burnley still defending Hendrick. And that may very well be the case. Um, I literally, I, I lost all patience on, on Saturday. I thought he was... He offered nothing to the game and that sounds awful because I still don't necessarily believe that it's 100% his fault. Um, we are keep we do keep getting told that he has the ability to play that number 10 role so he should be offering more than he is but I literally forgot that he was playing for most of the game. I thought he offered nothing at all. Um, and the longer that this goes on, I think that the more obvious that problem's going to be. So I guess the question mark is, is who is what do you do with that one? I mean, do you do you give yourselves an opportunity for pushing DeFore forward and playing in that number 10 role, but then do we risk breaking up the Cork DeFore partnership? So do you then, who do you then put in the defensive role? I, you know, I, I think for me, an, an opportunity here would be to drop Hendrick, push DeFore forward to play that number 10 role, and play either Westwood or if he can get himself fit, Dean Marnie in that more defensive role that, that Defoe's been playing. Um, I would love to see Dean Marnie and Jack Cork play together in that sort of central defensive midfield role. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, bring To bring um, Dean Marnie on away at Palace straight away when he's not had any first team actions, I think a big ask, but... Maybe if he's nervous about it, start Westwood or maybe just start Hendrick and bring um, Dean Marnie on for the last 20, 30 minutes or so. I don't know. I think for me at the moment with the injuries we've got, I think the team picks itself. Um, I just don't know what to do about Hendrick. I really don't. It's it's uh, it's causing me some grief. 
I think it's a difficult one. I think I've I've made it clear previously that I think it is maybe time to shake things up a little bit. I'd like to see the four play uh, in the ten row. I think he's um, maybe the one person in our, our squad that you look at. I think definitely got everything that you need uh, for, for that spot in the side. Um, but again, I, I'd even be tempted to go back to playing our field there. I thought he did perfectly fine when he was there early in the season. Mm-hmm. Maybe some yeah, of his best good. games of the, the season. Um, I just think Hendrick doesn't necessarily um, offer enough in that position com- compared to what we know he can do in central midfield. And I think you see that in some of the games where he dropped to four four two. He seems so so much better after the the switch. Yeah, you're right. Um, what do you do, James? If let's assume that Arfield doesn't make it back, what do you do about that left wing position? Who do you play there? Potentially, I'd even be tempted to to push Hendrick out to the left. Um, That's put the four in. Uh, in the 10 mm. and play Westwood in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Westwood had a pretty decent game against City considering the opposition, considering that, you know, he'd, he'd not played uh, in, in a little I while. I thought he did really well. Um, I mean, the, the overall turns was obviously you, you do kind of what we did anyway and play Barnes and Vokes and um, Barnes is maybe on the left-ish. Um, though it, they, they become kind of fluid when Barnes plays in that position. But, or oh, Wells, uh, I've been pushing for Wells oh, yeah, previously, so uh, I think you know Wells and his pace could be a good one. Uh, try and exploit exploit the defence, um, but it, it's definitely something for for Dash to think about if Arfield can't make it. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what the lineup is. Um, do you think people need to be realistic uh, about you know the teams we played in that that six game spell and uh, what we would have expected pre season though? Granted, expectations change. And is this the perfect opportunity to, to get back on track of a win uh, before we have to play a side as big as United at home? Yeah, I mean, taking the first point, absolutely we need to be realistic. It's always difficult to analyse with an objective pair of eyes a dip in form at some point in the season. But you know what? Most teams have that spell where they um, don't make, maybe get as many points as they would have liked to. You know, sometimes the fixture list can be pretty cruel and can, can put a... Um, a very difficult spell of games together for you. And if you've only got one um, game in the middle, like look at our Christmas fixtures. We had um, Spurs, United, Huddersfield, Liverpool. You know, so you look at that and you think, well, pre-season, we're probably only looking at getting some points away at Huddersfield. As it turns out, we only managed to draw. So we end up dropping two points that we thought we were going to do, albeit we did get a bonus point at United. So expectations do change in the season. Of course they do. But it's still, I think, more sensible to analyse a season as a whole rather than um, in isolation as a league position as it is. Um, That said, looking at how well Burnley have done this season, I think the expectations do change in that we should no longer be automatically expecting that we lose against the bigger teams. Um, I actually felt at Spurs and Spurs United and Liverpool over the Christmas period, I actually felt like we were going to give them a game. I felt confident. I felt more confident going toward Trafford than I think I ever have done. Um, and certainly at home to Liverpool as well. And, and given how negative their tactics were when they came to Turf Moor. I think that change in, in expectations was justified. So it's, it is now, you know, the end of that six-game spell. We are now looking at some more winnable fixtures, albeit Palace away and Newcastle away will by no means be easy games, um, especially considering just how renewed... Um, this Palace side or they've, they've got themselves finally out his bottom three, which looked like it was going to be impossible at one stage. Um, Newcastle are obviously struggling a little bit, but they will they will see a home fixture against Burnley as one that they absolutely have to win if they've got any chance of surviving. So, you know, you, you can kind of look at each spell of, of games in each month and think, oh, well, we're going to get X points from that. But actually, you know, the reality of it is very, very, very different. Yeah, I think it's very difficult that- Obviously, the the season's fluid, and before the season, if you'd given us those games and said give us a points total, I think you would have been very happy to take, um, you know, win at Huddersfield and a point out of the other three. If you look at that Christmas period, and that bit that would be fair to say. Um, 
But, you know, as it is, I think if you look at the performances, um, very unlucky late on against Liverpool, very unlucky late on against United, um, outclassed by Spurs, but, you know, referee decision potentially at Huddersfield just being the difference between us getting uh, three points there and, and not. So I, I think it's it's hard to be disappointed, um, but it shows just how well we've done so far this season that it's possible to to feel a little bit of disappointment out of that run. Um Last thing I just want to quickly talk about before we end this week's podcast, I think we're going to go into more detail about the transfer window next week. Uh, But I've been seeing quite a lot of rumours early this week about James McLean potentially coming from West Brom. Um, It's definitely a polarising figure, I think, with his his view on the poppy. Um, Personally, um, anyone who knows me knows I'm a a big supporter of our armed forces, knows I'm a pretty big patriot as well. Um, But at the end of the day, People fought for our choice to, to do what we want. And if he doesn't want to wear a poppy, he, he doesn't want to wear a poppy. I, I disagree with it. I would always uh, wear a poppy if I was put in the position where it was going to be put on my shirt um, to play football. But I understand the reason he's given in the past. Um, it, it's his decision to make and people ultimately fought for his freedom to make that decision. But as far as the actual bit that matters in, in whether we should be signing him, I'm just not sure that he necessarily presents a real push forward for us. When you look at who we've got in our midfield at the moment, um, you know, Jack, I think Jack Cork's definitely a better player. I think DeFore technically is the best midfielder I've ever seen play at Burnley. Um, I just don't know what he'd be necessarily offering us at this stage. And it almost feel like maybe it's a, a bit of a stopgap because he's someone who's more available in a January than, than the summer. Natalie, do you think he'd be the right signing for us? Do you think it's someone who's got longevity in a side like ours? Or do you think it's kind of just adding another player in who's at a similar level to maybe what we've got, if that, and not really pushing us forward for how much money it'd cost to to get a deal like that done? Um... Well, I think firstly, I'm not 100% sure how much I'd buy the transfer rumours for this guy. It just feels like it's another Irish player that's linked to us, doesn't it? So it just feels a little bit like a lazy link. Um, you say, oh, yeah, Burnley are signing another Irish player. We're just going to turn, <laughs> you know, in, into the Ireland squad. Um, for me, I'm not entirely sure he fits the squad. Um, he just doesn't seem to be a Dutch kind of player. I don't know... Maybe this is a bit harsh because, you know, I don't... The whole Poppy scandal aside, I wouldn't really know that much about him. He's, he's kind of jumped on people's radars more because of the, the Poppy thing than his football, which to me says a lot, really, in that it is, he's not particularly a, su- a superstar. Does that make sense? But then you look at that and you think, well... Actually, that is a Deitch player because Deitch doesn't fill his squad full of stars or divas or people who are going to have an attitude. He fills his side with grafters. So maybe he is. I don't know. It's a really difficult one to analyse, to be honest. My gut instinct is was, when I saw it, was, oh, no, I don't think he'll fit. I don't think he's the right player. And actually, I think you, you said it quite well there, James. Actually, it's maybe a step backwards from our defence. No, uh, sorry, from our midfield. Now, if he's coming in purely as backup, then again, I don't really understand why we're signing him because we've got Westwood and uh, Dean Marnie who can do just the same job as, as backup. So, yeah, I don't I don't really get that one. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that that's a good fit for us, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think it's a strange one. I mean, I, if he did come in, I'd love to be proved wrong and... You know, we've seen Dash get a lot out of players before, and who knows? Maybe there's a lot more there for James McLean to give that that Dash could be the person to, you know, to unlock. Um, but just not one that you know. It's not a rumor I've read that's that's really got me excited to be honest. And um, I think it'd be interesting as well to see the reaction it will get from the the Burnley fans. Um, yeah, he, he's really a polarizing player just for that poppy view across the the whole country but like you said if it wasn't for that I think he'd be someone who not a lot of people would have an opinion on and sometimes that can be a good thing uh, we've seen it you know I think Jack Cook falls into that category a lot of football fans just 
don't notice him. It, you know, it's, almost doesn't exist. And I think the reaction when he, he got called up to England sort of highlighted that. Um, but to anyone who actually pays attention to what he does, he's doing a lot of great things. And, you know, he's helped us massively this season. And he's one of the key reasons we managed to push on. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, like I said, I think we're going to go into a lot more detail on the transfer window next week. Hopefully there'll be a, a few more solid uh leads to go on and never know maybe even a signing because we're we're getting to that point in January now where you I think you start to expect it to pick up and I'd like to think Dash is trying to get things done a little bit earlier rather than uh, at the very end of the 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 transfer window and obviously with injuries continuing to stack up with our field now uh, struggling and Tarkovsky having a groin injury on top of his broken hand um, I think there's a lot of factors that are adding up there to say that we maybe need to bring someone in and at the moment, it's only been rumours, and I think a lot of them you can file under lazy. McLean, Irish, Danny Ings played for us formerly. Um, but we'll, I think we'll have to see what develops over the next week or so. Um, and hopefully, obviously, we have an exciting transfer window and we can continue what's been um, probably the, the greatest season in what the, the last 20 years for Burnley in terms of uh, you know high profile and just completely unbelievable um, if you thought winning the championship was good I think finding yourself in this position in the Premier League at this time of year um, is is on a, a different level again and the recognition it's rightly gaining us I think in, in the media around the world um, very enjoyable and hopefully we're back next week to discuss uh, getting back on track with a win at Crystal Palace um, it's certainly going to be an interesting one I'm looking forward to, to watching that uh, and hopefully you're looking forward to joining us and, and hearing what we have uh, managed to glean from a Claret's three points. I've been James Bird, and uh, with me has been Natalie Bromley, and this has been the No Name Ever podcast. Thank you, and goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and and climate neutral certified so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin glow from the inside out get 10% off your first order with code glow at oseamalibu.com that's o s e a malibu.com code glow this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans <laughs>